We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Liar. Welcome back. This is Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by co-host Nick Lotto. Hey, we're lucky to have a special guest joining the show to talk a little Giants football, to talk a little quarterbacks, talk a little analytics, and that's PFF's pro football focus is Seth Salina. He, I hope I pronounced that right. You can tell me if I didn't after. I'm really bad with pronunciations. He's a senior football analyst at pro football focus. Also, the co-host of the Two High podcast. And I think one thing that I really like about Seth is when I go to his Twitter page, his pin tweet is one of the truest statements I've seen on Twitter that, and he goes, I categorize everyone I meet in one of two classifications. Either you're an Ant Viv seasons one through three, or you're an Ant Viv seasons four through six. And I can say this, Seth, you strike me as an Ant Viv one through three. I'm an Ant Viv one through three. So is Nick. But having said that, maybe I'm wrong based on how you looked at me both saying that, but having said that, I, I struggle with calling Nick and Amphib seasons one three because I don't think he has any idea what this reference is, and that alone gives him more. <laughs> Fresh Prince, bro. All right, fine. Um, I, I think I give off on Twitter a one through three vibe, but really in real life, I'm a four through four through six. Um, that's wow. Really All right. Fun. Well, at least you're open and honest about it. Um, one of the worst tweets of all time when you think about it. Um, I appreciate <laughs> you reading my tweets back to me. Really puts my really puts me my life into perspective. <laughs> I like the tweets. I'm, I'm stay. I stand by it. How you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm great. I just got back to got back from Cincinnati, Ohio, the home of PFF. Um, and yeah, doing great. Excellent, Seth. We're just going to kick this off. So this was Joe Shane's first draft, and I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on how he's doing. You know, it's. The bar was set pretty low by the previous regime. So how do you think Joe Shane's first draft and just how he's doing so far as a general manager? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're picking five and seven and two prospects that maybe you didn't think would fall to you. And I think if we were talking 
you know, if let's say we're talking a year ago after last year's draft and you were like, hey, um, Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal are going are gonna to be there at five and seven for you. I, don't, I think people would have laughed at you. I think those two would have been assumed to have been the first and second overall picks in the draft if we're talking, uh, you know, let's say before last college football season or, or honestly even sometime in the middle of the last college football season. So for them to go and, and just like have those guys fall in their lap, I mean, there's no, um, it, did you have to do anything for it? No, but at the same time, I think they, they, didn't, they didn't reach on anybody. I mean, the thing that I've been saying about those two players is when you look at the way they've won in college, you know, they win their reps in college multiplied by their athleticism, their build and all that stuff. You're looking at two guys who, if they hit, and obviously the, the, the if is doing a lot of work there, if they hit, those are like guys that end up as future, you know, all pro players. Um, so, you know, again, finding those guys at five and seven is, uh, is as, is as good as you can get really. Like, I, I don't think they, uh, I'm sure they're laughing when, when those two guys kept falling to them, you know, I, I just just at those two uh, picks in the first round. I mean, I have a little some issues with Wandale Robinson, which maybe we can get into. But like, other than that, it was pretty good. I like Cardell Fly. I like Azudu from from UNC. So overall, a good draft. Obviously, you're taking a bunch of players, and you're hoping that you know the guy. You know, uh, let me see here. F- uh, what six picks through through rounds four to six? And you're hoping that what two two of them make the roster. But you give yourself a chance by just having all those draft picks. I actually have a question about Evan Neal. I believe he was your second graded tackle behind Charles Cross. And I just kind of wanted to ask you, you evaluated the draft back in 2020 when Andrew Thomas was coming out. How do you measure Andrew Thomas relative to Evan Neal? And do you think Evan Neal is going to have the struggles that Andrew Thomas had in his rookie season? Yeah, I think there could be um, the same type of struggles. I think Neil probably, I mean, you hate to use these words, but like Neil probably had a higher upside than Andrew Thomas. And I thought, thought I think we all thought that Andrew Thomas was um, going to hit the ground running probably um, a little faster than he did. Obviously, that wasn't the case. It's worked out, though. I think the thing with Neil, and like obviously we know that offensive linemen in general take longer to um, become, you know, what we think of them based on their draft um, position uh, than other positions, especially inside, but even outside too. And I think with Neil, there's just some stuff to fix. Um, It's almost like he grew too fast for his body in a sense, and his balance sometimes is not there. Um, But he's also, you know, he's still, I mean, he's he's still like almost a teenager. You know what I mean? Like, so like you're, you're, you're like, okay, well, once that fixes itself, um, and obviously getting good coaching and, and, and good, not just coaching on the football side, but obviously good athletic coaching and stuff like that. And I think you're, you're, you're sculpting a really good player because the power is there. The strength is there. Um, the, the, the body mass is there. You're just thinking, you know, I thought when, when I watched the tape, he, he was on the ground a little too much, you know, and that to me was a little like a balance thing. Um, he can, you know, get his feet kind of underneath him too much in pass sets. Um, but other than that, I mean, um, he's as good. I mean, the guy got picked seventh overall, so he's as good as a tackle as you're going to get. Um, 
and and I just but I do I do would say like let's give him some time and obviously with Giants fans you're like oh we just saw this like we just saw a guy who we thought couldn't play for a year and then become a real real tackle in the league so um you know at least at least he's not going into a situation like Andrew Thomas was where everyone's going to get on him get on his ass for for a year um I think you, you would hope that um there's a little bit of ease there and let him get let him get his feet wet in the NFL. I think it's also important to note that Andrew Thomas didn't have the training camp and all of the things that kind of go with that because of COVID-19. And Mark Colombo and Joe Judge were reportedly getting into fights during practices and stuff like that. So it was just a kind of a tumultuous yeah. type of situation. But now we have a different head coach here, and that is Brian Dable. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about his offense, because when Josh Allen came into the league, it seemed like Brian Dable used a little bit more 12, a little bit more 21 personnel. And when 2020 rolled around, it was a little bit more of 10 personnel spread the offense out, tried to spread the defense out, and there was success early on. But last year, a lot of those two high defenses kind of altered that success and, and just hindered it a little bit. So I wanted to ask you, how can Dable mitigate the risk of becoming too one-dimensional with 10 and 11 personnel packages. And do you think some of the giant selections in the draft, along with their current personnel, suggest that Dable may incorporate more 12 personnel than he did over there in Buffalo, maybe to allow him to run the football a little bit more successfully? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the more fascinating um, things, you know, ideas going into the season is what is the Brian Dable offense going to look like when he doesn't have Josh Allen as the quarterback? Because I think that, like you said, you know, you know, year one with Josh Allen, they didn't expect Josh Allen to be the starter. And he wasn't the starter until I don't even remember what happened. There was an injury or whatever. They had the Peterman game and all that stuff. So you have a very different offense. You have more of a multiple thing that they were trying to do. The players weren't good. You know, Josh Allen, when he did end up starting there, was not good. Um, they're starting their, their number one receiver was Kelvin Benjamin, who was not good. Um, you obviously saw splashes, but like, you know, the, we already know the narrative about Josh Allen, which is he just wasn't good in years one or two. And I think as, as they kept working together, Josh Allen and Brian Dable, I think there was this idea of saying like, man, putting this guy in a normal offense is just wasting him. Like we just, he's too athletic. I think we're kind of realizing now, and it, we, we saw it in year one just with his, his rushing totals, but we're realizing that this guy is like a real athlete. He probably could play a bunch of different positions in the NFL. He's a real athlete playing quarterback. And you're like, hey, you know, what if we just, what if we made it, what, the more spread you get, the more one-on-ones you're going to get in football, in, in sports in general. And they said, hey, we actually might have the, one of the better one-on-one -on -one players in this league. So instead of like packing it in and like you said, going 12 personnel, 21 personnel, all that stuff, screw it. We're 10 personnel, the highest rate in the league, basically, uh, you know, outside of the Cardinals. And then our 11 personnel, we're going to play Dawson Knox, who's like, oh, all right, tight end, but he's more of a slot receiver, to tell you the truth. And even when he's on the field, he is going to play slot receiver. So we're going to be as spread as possible. We're going to create as much one-on-ones as we can. And we're going to put the ball in Josh Allen's hands with, you know, basically the, one of the highest first down pass rates in the league. And we're just going to let him work it. 
And, you know, obviously his development in after the, his second season in that offseason allowed him to be able to work in that offense. But I thought the offense worked for him as well, just as he worked for the offense. He became this, you know, MVP caliber quarterback. You know, he can play under pressure. So, you, again, you, you and it's not even just like, oh, we're going to be spread, you know, two slot receivers, two wide receivers. I mean, the running back is not staying in the block for the Bills ever. So it's five-man protection. Everyone is one-on-one. And you just say, hey, if we get pressure, no problem, because Josh Allen's going to make a play. Hey, if, uh, you know what I mean? Like, hey, if everyone's covered, no problem. Josh Allen's going to make a play with his legs. And, and uh, you know, we can go five-man protection, and we can still get the ball down the field because he has the best arm and he can do it while under pressure. I, now you look at that, and like you said, they started to have some issues by the back end, at least in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs in 2020, and then throughout the 2021 season where Josh Allen was still good, but teams were saying, teams started to treat the Bills first down like it was third down. Because like, well, wh- why are we putting on our base personnel and we're running vanilla stuff here on first down? thinking we're going to get any type of run game when the bills are throwing the ball on, you know, 70% of their first down pat, uh, first down plays, 75%, whatever, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but it was like the highest in the league. So they have to make this decision to say, okay, you know what? We're putting too much now on Josh Allen. And if he has just, if he's off by a bit, we're cooked. So you saw the, the Steelers game at the beginning of the year, you have the Jaguars game in the middle of the season. Like we're, we as a coaching staff to a certain degree are not um, doing enough of the heavy lifting for Josh Allen. Now, when he plays just at an average level for Josh Allen, you're, you're, you're scoring 25 points because that's how good he is now. But if he's, if he's, you know, not as good, you're not getting those games like you're seeing from Jimmy Garoppolo, from Kirk Cousins, from Ryan Tannehill, where the offense can do some of the more heavy lifting for an, uh, you know, a mid-tier quarterback. They've had, so like you said, they saw too many two high coverages. They saw too many blitzes, you know, simulated pressures, creepers, zone dogs, you know, and all that on all their first down stuff, which you don't see a lot. They had to get out of it. They went to more under center. They brought a fullback on the field, not because they necessarily like, that's like oh we're gonna we're gonna you know run the ball for 12 yards a pop it was like hey we need to get the defenses to respect us our run game and our you know formationally a little bit more so that um teams just can't take advantage of the fact that we throw the ball every play and put the ball in josh allen's hands every play and that's kind of to me that that's really the the evolution of the bills and now you talk about going from Josh Allen to Daniel Jones. And it's like, well, guess what? Like, that's not, that's not ever going to be the way it plays out. Like, that's just not going to be the way it plays out. That's where I find it fascinating too, with the Giants current personnel, having Saquon Barkley, that kind of rare talent one year removed from that injury. Now I'm so curious to see how Mike Kafka's influence will kind of step into this coming from the Kansas City Chiefs and how Saquon Barkley is going to be not just utilized as a passing asset, but also in the rushing attack. I'm wondering if we see more 12 personnel with the Giants, not the Jason Garrett level 12 personnel, but just in what we saw up there in Buffalo because of that Josh Allen effect that you described. 
Yeah, I think we, I think that's probably that to me makes sense to me. Obviously, you know, you lose uh, Evan Ingram. You did bring in some interesting tight end pieces, I guess. Um, but like you said, um, you know, I think they're going to try to try to play a little bit heavier, try to protect um, Daniel Jones more, and, and honestly, just try and get him to throw the ball down the field more. To me, that's the that's the biggest thing with with Daniel Jones. It's like when he does throw the ball down the field, when he is aggressive, when he when he takes chances, when he's under pressure. Like, yeah, okay, I'm, he's not the, the best quarterback of all time, but like you're actually gaining some the potential for explosive plays. And you just don't, you're just not seeing that enough. Like you said, under Jason Garrett, it was, was pretty bad. Um, so I just think like getting him to get the ball down the field and whether that's through play action and kind of forcing him to define reads down the field um, or just calling more deep, you know, deeper concepts. I think that's, to me, that's the way to do it. I think it's interesting too, Seth, because that may be the way to do it because it fits and it works well with Daniel Jones' skill set. But actually, like a lot of what you said could happen just from what he did in Buffalo there. A lot of what you said, a higher first down pass rate. That's something I've been calling for for years. It could make a big difference for the Giants on offense. More 10 personnel. And it speaks to what they did, in my opinion, drafting Wandell Robinson with Kadarius Tony already on the roster, Sterling Shepard already on the roster, a lot of similar players. And I almost feel like what Dave's is going to want to do in the first season. I mean, I remain unconvinced that Dave's and Shane believe Jones is the long-term answer. I think they're treating this one year at a time. And so what I think they might want to do in year one is just a lot of layups, make it really easy for Jones and less so, you know, play action to find uh, reads down the field type stuff. And more so just what we saw in Buffalo, but less of the downfield offense, unfortunately, because, you know, like Greg Cosell said, I think he's certainly right. When he watched uh, uh, Josh Allen's tape, it's like, yeah, there's some great stuff on there. But a lot of it was because Allen was able to hang in that pocket and rip the ball off his back foot and from an unbalanced face. That's not something Daniel Jones can do. So those opportunities down the field may be way fewer and far in between just because of that fact alone. And so I almost wonder if they're going to have more of just a layup based offense for Jones where it's just spread out up tempo, get the ball to his hand fast. Don't make him, you know, don't make him think too much. Yeah. The issue is like, I think there's like, I, I certainly subscribe to this to a certain degree, but, and, and I haven't really done so much work on Jones's 2021 season, but thinking about his 2020 season, I'm like, if you're going to be, do all these, you know, short throws, you kind of got to be accurate on like 90% of them. And he's like, yeah. Dan Jones is accurate, but he's accurate on like 75% of them. And it's like, you're not getting extra yards after catch opportunities. You're obviously not, you know, setting up hopefully manageable, quote unquote, manageable third downs. And I think that would scare me. And I remember, so I did this, looked at when they drafted Kadarius Tony, which I didn't think was a very good pick at the time, like in the first round. And you you look at there's this idea that we have, and again I, I I think about it all the time. It's like oh well we're gonna throw a screen pass, we're gonna throw a slant, we're gonna throw uh, you know a stick route at six yards or whatever. We're gonna throw a wide receiver screen, and every time Kadarius Tony touches the ball, he's gone. It's over. It's, it's a first down, and it's like the. the the, the, the stats just don't back that up. Like when you throw a six-yard pass, you you get six yards. 
And if it's incomplete, then you get zero yards. Like there's the yak in, in the NFL. It's just not the same as the yak in the in college. So that's why, you know, I brought it up that the Waddell Robinson pick where it's like, yeah, he's a good receiver. He's a good player. But I'm I would I don't know if you're going to you're if you're going to get this returns that you saw in college where you can give him the jet, you can give him the screen, you can do all that stuff. And it's just assumed that he picks up um, all this yards after catch. So it's like, you know, and it's like they're good players. This is the issue with Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson. Obviously, we're projecting here with Wondell Robinson. We know a little bit about Tony um, more off the field, to tell you the truth. But like, they're good players. But I think if you're picking in round one, two, or maybe even three, at least early in three, I think you should be looking for more well rounded receivers. And if one of those guys turns out to be a guy that you can give jets to, that you can give screens to, then so be it. I don't, I, it, it scares me to take a guy who's catching a lot of those type of plays in college and project it upwards. I'd rather take a guy who is kind of more of a well-rounded player in college and like bring him down if you need to. Um, and when you look at the guys who are running those those type of plays successfully, you know, off the top of my head, it's guys that actually are really good receivers. Those guys tend to be the, the good yak players too. Um, Debo and Robert Woods and I don't know, I can't, off the top of my head, there's a whole bunch more, but those those two for sure. So that that's what that's what scares me about saying, okay, we're going to create these quote-unquote easy throws for Daniel Jones, where it's like, yeah, you do that for Drew Brees that he did for the last, you know, eight years of his career, last six years of his career. That's fine because he's going to complete all of them and they're going to be, you know, right on the receiver. Um, and, and I don't, I just don't know if you're going to get those same returns with this roster and this quarterback. Like I said, that's what scares me. Um, like I do agree, throw the ball more in first down, um, do all that stuff that you can create offense while teams think you're going to run the football. Um, right. That's always the best way to do it. Um, I just it it it, it does scare, it does scare me a bit given given Daniel Jones's skill set. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'd be scared too. I mean, look, we're not, we're not, we're, <laughs> me and Nick have our reservations as well. And especially when it comes to not just the Wandell pick, but, you know, this entire offense as it, as it looks right now, at least at the quarterback and, and, skill positions based and how it's going to look for this year. But one thing you did write about last year, I believe it's actually this year, I actually was reading it this morning and I thought it was really interesting stuff. And it was kind of talking about how the NFL's RPO RPO revolution is here. And I think that's something we're definitely going to see a greater emphasis on in Dave's offense. than we saw with Jason Garrett, we just given what we saw Jones have success with at Duke, what he had success with under Pat Shermer, how easy it is for a quarterback um, can you dive a little bit more into the specifics of what you found with RPO usage rates and what exactly your research maybe told you, maybe some just key takeaways on how the NFL is moving in this regard. Yeah, I think like, you know, the, the thing with the thing with RPOs is like, I've been, I'm in, I've, I've written basically the same article every year for the past like <laughs> two or three years, basically being like, Hey, let's go NFL. Like it's time. Like they're, college football and high school football has been overrun with rpos and now the rules are different um, from college to the nfl because you have different downfield rules by the offensive line so in college i believe it's four yards that you you have that um that leeway in the nfl it's one yard but you know go through all the rpos um over the past couple of years and like you think there's you think any referee is calling or lineman an NFL lineman at three yards down the field no they're not because they're just like this it's just it's too muddy um of a call and I just think they don't want to call it because they don't want to get into a situation where they're taking away offense so then I'm like okay well if they're not going to call the 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 actual um penalties then we should just be throwing this stuff all the time like and <laughs> It just help you know. It just helps your quarterback in terms of in terms of, and it go. It really goes back to Daniel Jones. And when you think about him with Jason Garrett, you know the amount of quick game passes. You know these like combinations that involve slants and sticks and, and speed outs and flat routes and stuff like that. And it's like it's, those are supposedly easy concepts, but at the end of the day, again, you're you got to complete them at like 90% or else they're useless to you. Um, anything on 90, 80%. And it's like, what, what is the point of us throwing uh, like a two yard flat route? If there's not a high chance, we're gonna, if, if there's not, not a 90% chance where you complete it. So look at RPOs and say, well, you're taking that a little bit off the quarterback. You're just making it easier and saying, Hey, you got one read here, kind of two, one and a half, let's say, but you got one read here to throw the football. If not, Hey, the easiest thing you can do in the world, is hand the ball off to a running back. Yeah. The the hardest thing, one of the hardest things for a quarterback to do is literally get to his second read. That's like the, like when we see we have you know numbers that back this up. Like you know quarterback completion percentage, uh, you know PFF grade on on a second read throw is just it plummets from the first read. So okay, well what's what's harder? 
to run to the second read if the slant is not there or whatever, if the stick route isn't there, or hand the ball. It's obviously handing the ball. So we can just help our quarterbacks a lot more. And, you know, the article this – so I think that's the article I wrote last year, and the article I wrote this, this offseason was more – you know, the idea of the RPO in the NFL is very, it, it's pretty simple. It's, hey, is there, um, you know, if I have Devontae Adams, I'm, I'm Aaron Rodgers and I have Devontae Adams and he's by himself on one side of the field and the cornerback is off at eight yards. It's like, well, I take the snap and I throw it to him. That, that's an RPO, right? That's a run, you know, I have a run play called and there's no one covering Devontae Adams or he's too far and I, and I throw the ball out to him. One of the things we saw a little bit more this year, and the Dolphins were a good example of that, was like actual downfield RPOs that we see in college all the time, where it's like, hey, we're going to take a slant route, we're going to take glance route, which is like, you know, a, a, a little bit deeper slant route. Um, you're going to, you're seeing Pittsburgh, the Steelers run a speed out all the time as a, as a as a gift throw, as we say. Like those are the plays where we're getting. Um, efficiency from our rpos if we're throwing a bubble screen it goes back to what i said before we have this idea that every bubble screen we throw to you know we throw to even like alvin Kamara is going to go for even saquon barkley is going to go for 100 yards every play and this is not the case so at least with these downfield rpos these slants these speed outs these glances uh even slot slot fades or whatever we can actually create offense with this like the ball is going to be caught at seven yards rather than caught in negative two yards if we right. decide to pull the ball and throw it and that's kind of so that that's just my idea of rpos like i just think every team every team's got to like i you know and i go back to the dolphins because it was the perfect example it's like you have this quarterback who we really still is, is still developing we still don't know you know talking about Tua here we still don't know about his upside we still don't know who he's going to you know quite if he's going to hit those levels well how do we make it a lot easier for them. Every time we call a run play, and their offensive line is terrible. Every time we call a run play, we have a chance to throw a slant for eight yards, and right. then Mike takes it, or or Jalen Wall takes it for a couple extra yards, you know. But at least at least that helps us um, uh, with our like kind of mid tier quarterbacks, um, and then all quarterbacks. I mean, Patrick Mahomes runs RPOs all the time, so to, it kind of helps us with with all level of quarterback. We've talked a little bit about Daniel Jones, and Dan and I were not certain on Daniel Jones is the guy per se. So I kind of want to look into the future a little bit. Who is your favorite quarterbacks coming out outside of maybe Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, who we talk about a little bit on this podcast? And who do you think fits Brian Dable's offense, at least what we saw in Buffalo, the best that the Giant, the Giant fans should just be paying attention to right now before the college football season? Yeah, the issue is like, who fits the, the, the Brian Dable offense of the past two years is one player, right? Like that, that is kind of the issue. Um, and that is just uh, this this freak of a player named Josh Allen. Like we just okay. don't see a lot of these guys, right? Because even like like I look at Justin Herbert and I'm like they're completely different. Their play style is completely different. Right. They're both six foot whatever, um, tall, and they can run around a bit, and they have a strong arm, but their play style is completely different. Um, I think, and I haven't gone too deep into his tape, but um, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami is a guy a lot of people. Are looking at as as this kind of like tall type of player, um, you know. You mentioned Bryce Young and and C.J. Stroud, like they're not quite those type of players. But again, it's like, man, is there anyone? Is there? I don't know if there's really anybody <laughs> who who is like that. Um, trying to think, you know, I, I I do like Stroud and and 
and um, and Bryce Young. And I do think one of the nice things, kind of nice things, if you're trying to look into the future here with as a Giants fan, you're thinking, hey, we took these two players, five and seven. You know, we have a new coaching staff. We have a new uh, front office. We're trying to, oh, you know, retool here, um, refigure out the salary cap that was left to us that was a mess. And we're kind of in this kind of good position with quarterback. If you're treating 2022 as a as a as a nothing year, which is a problem, which is no one wants to do that. No one wants to watch their favorite team knowing that we're picking a quarterback next year high in the draft. But that's kind of where we are right now. They're not going to pick up. You know, they've said they're not going to pick up this fifth year option, I believe. And so you're just trying to put together this really good roster for honestly, whoever they pick next year. If Daniel Jones plays well, great. You can, you can do whatever you want with that. But if he continues to play at the, the same level that Daniel Jones has played at for, for, for three, for three years, then you're just saying, all right, no problem. Don't pay him. We're probably going to have a top 10 pick then if he plays like that again. And, and we can go and find one of these quarterbacks like, um, you know, like Stroud, like Levis, uh, like Levis, like, like Bryce Young, um, Tyler Van Dyke, and, and, and some of the other uh, some of the other players like that. It's interesting, too, because it's like I feel like the Giants could actually be in position to be in the trade market for a quarterback next offseason because the cap situation is terrible now. But if you look forward, it's really cleaned out. Most It's almost entirely cleaned up by next year. And they do have two tackles in place for a quarterback and, you know, some decent weapons at receiver. They don't yeah. really have too many holes outside of corner and quarterback right now. And some would say maybe uh, receiver running back is there's no no one signed, but I'm not worried about running back at all. They'll find that. So it'll be interesting if they're in the trade market for if the, one of the veterans comes loose. One player I wanted to get your take on, and if you don't have anything on him, it's fine. But have you seen Anthony Richardson at all? Because he, to me, is like an interesting ball of clay type quarterback prospect that I've, yeah. that I've seen. Some of the throws he makes off balance, just incredible arm talent. Yeah, so I haven't rewatched him. So we're putting out our college football preview magazine on July 5th, I believe. And I haven't rewatched him for the magazine, but I did watch him throughout um, the season when he took over and got some playing time there at Florida. And uh, the, the issue is just like, you, Bob Clay is right, because like the arm talent is sickening. He can run the football. You're just like, you're just trying to figure out what he's looking at play to play. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, you're hoping they got a new staff there at Florida um, and you're hoping that they can clean up some of those issues. And it looks like he's going to start. I mean, like Emory Jones transferred last week. Um, so I, you would you would assume that he, he he won the job in spring and that that caused Emory Jones to transfer. And, and you're going to get a full season from him in, in, in an offense that that you would imagine is tailored to him. And hopefully he can develop. Seth, I want to ask you about the the defense. The Giants bring in Wink Martindale, and we've seen the defensive pendulum kind of swing to these too high layered type of looks that Brandon Staley is kind of using with the Chargers, dating back to when he was the defensive coordinator for the Rams. But that's not Wink Martindale's game. Martindale is a middle of the field close defensive coordinator, cover one, need man covering cornerbacks, and they just released their best cornerback yeah. in games of Bradbury. So how do you envision Martindale's scheme holding up with this thin secondary? Yeah, I, you know, you want to say, well, 
okay, he looks at the roster. We, we want to say this about every coach, and it's usually not true. We want to say, hey, you look at the roster and you say, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of man coverage guys, so I got to play more zone. I got to do this, and I got to blitz more because of this, and I can play three man line, I got four man line, whatever. And guess what happens all the time? The guy comes in and he plays his defense. So, like, that's probably, I, you know what I mean? Like, I think it would, it, if you can figure out a way to, 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 to kind of come into modernity, I hate to say it like that, but like come into modernity and like run more of the too high stuff and run more zone on early downs and, and stuff like that, then, then that would be great. Um, but I just do believe that he'll probably come in and try and teach all this, all this stuff that he was doing in, in, um, in Baltimore for all those years. And, and, you know, the defense is just, it's okay at corner. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's really just okay at corner. Um, maybe not even that. Um, so it scares me a little bit. It it definitely scares me a little bit, um, going forward with that type of defense, with the, with the characteristics of the team. And like, you know, under Patrick Graham and at least in, in, in 2020, you know, you saw good play at a zone, you know, when they ran zone, playing a lot of cover two, playing a lot of matching routes and cover two and stuff like that. You're just not, I just, I, you're, and that was good. And I just don't think you're going to see that again um, going forward. I want to talk a little bit more quarterbacks with you, Seth. I thought that it's interesting to me. It seemed almost like there might've been an overcorrection in this NFL draft at the quarterback position, just on the surface. I'm curious to get your take. I'm not saying that's the case. I'll, we'll see what you have to say about it. But like the idea of like someone with an arm talent, like Sam Howell falling to round five, like I know Sam Howell has a ton wrong with him. I get it. He's, got to work on a lot of things, but you don't find that kind of arm talent typically in round five. And so did you feel like there was an overcorrection at the position or was this just kind of an indicator of how bad the class was as all these guys fell? Yeah, I think it's funny. Like we all looked at these guys in, you know, let's say January or whatever, when we start to do our, our draft work and we we're like, okay, none of these guys are first round picks. Uh, maybe some of them aren't even second round picks. And then we convinced ourselves, given the history of the NFL over the past, you know, five years, ten years, or whatever, that okay, well, even though I don't think they're gonna, they're 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 that type of player, let me just look at all the positives. They all have a certain array of positive aspects, and because I know the NFL is gonna take these guys in round one, they're gonna take three of them in round one, they're gonna take four of them in round one. And then obviously the draft happens, and we find out that no, we should have stuck to our guns here and. and 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 understood that these guys were just not first round talents. And honestly, I don't even think Kenny Pickett was a first round talent, even though he goes there in the first round. I think I agree with you. The 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 Sam Howell thing to me is a, the wildest one because I don't think again the first round talent probably not, but the arm talent is probably too good to fall all the way yes. to where he fell. I mean, to tell you the truth, even Malik Willis, I have some massive issues with Malik Willis in terms of him actually like playing quarterback, but like. Arm talent seemed to be too good to to fall as far as he did, and then I think about it like you know one of the things that we that I, and I've been thinking about this for for a little bit is one of the things that we were not privy to is really like who these people are in terms of their personalities. And talking to some people um, who know Justin Herbert, they're like he's a savant. Like he's like a like photographic memory. He just gets it. He just, you know what I mean? Like um, one of those type of guys. 
Now, why it didn't work out as well as it should have in Oregon, if he's like that, I don't know. But the Chargers, so we all in draft, you know, draft Twitter say, well, he's, he's whatever quarterback. I famously said some words about him that I regret. But the point is that <laughs> the point is that he goes into the offices. He works with the GM, the OC at the time, the quarterback coach at the time. They're drawing stuff up on the board. He, they're trying. He's trying to like learn it all for the first time and then and then repeat that information and then do it on the field and you know blind they're gonna put a blindfold on him they're gonna tie his right hand behind his back and like that type of stuff we're not privy to and then when you see justin herbert play especially even as a rookie you're like oh okay he's he's a savant like he just gets it yeah and i think that type of thing and again like i don't have any information on the two guys that I mentioned, like Malik Willis and Sam Howell, but it's almost like to me, that is what swings them from, let's say we have second round grades on these guys. That's what swings them from maybe late first round picks to where they ended up getting picked third, fourth round, stuff like that. So th- those are for me, the things that I've been thinking about a lot and like, how do you handle pressure? How do you handle anxiety on the field and stuff like that? So I, I, to me, that tells me something about them. And again, like I'm, I, I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know those two particular cases, but it, it, when I see guys fall like that, it, it tells me something. It, it really, it, it, it tells me something about who they are. I think it's a really interesting point too, because you know, a lot of the times people are like, Oh, Daniel Jones went to Duke. He must be a smart quarterback. Well, there's a difference between going to Duke and, and Justin Herbert going to Oregon and being a biomed major and having that ability to have that kind of photographic memory that he yeah. has. And that's one of the most underrated aspects. Everybody looks at Herbert. They see all these big time throws and the ability to stick throws in tight windows. And it's like, wow, but you don't realize how good he is at processing. And you said it best earlier in this podcast. I think this is the number one takeaway for quarterbacks. How good are they at getting to the second read and then making something out of that second read? That's that's all it is right now, it seems like to me in the NFL. The quarterbacks who are good versus the quarterbacks who are bad, for the most part, that's it. Or occasionally, you know, you have some quarterbacks who do it a little differently. Obviously, Josh Allen is a different case. But it's yeah. interesting to me just looking at this class, how it feels like the NFL maybe saw it as, well, none of these quarterbacks are really that good at getting to the second read. So let's not even invest anything crazy in them. Yeah, that's you know it's funny. I was just looking up uh, Daniel Jones High School because I feel like that would tell me something. And the tuition for the high school, I went to public school. It didn't cost me that much. Um, <laughs> tuition for the high school is between eighteen thousand and twenty-five thousand um, dollars. So yeah, this whole Duke versus Oregon thing versus whatever. It's really like, okay, well, you, you were like a bioman, like you said, a bioman major. Um, that tells you something more than just going to Duke. I think when you. Uh, when your high school costs that much money, but yeah, that's I, I you know what uh, I hit. I'm gonna bore your listeners here, but like, I you know I played flag football for a long time now, and I, and I I didn't play I didn't play quarterback in high school, but I started playing quarterback. I coached quarterback for a long time at, at the college level here, and you know I started playing quarterback in flag, and I'm looking at and I looking at my myself, and I'm like, you know, coach football. I do this for a living. I know all the schemes, I know all the routes, I know I know all the reads, and I'm fucking terrible. I am fucking <laughs> terrible. And it's like, yeah, you know why? Because like my brain, like I get anxious, you know what I mean? The rush is coming, I get anxious, I don't set my feet properly. I do it in practice, no problem. You know what I mean? Pre-game, whatever, no problem. The second anything happens, like th- there's this pressure. And I don't, and I don't mean like necessarily like like what we call pressure in the NFL where a, a, a defender is within you know, three feet of you or whatever we call a pressure. I mean, like a literal pressure 
from being you know, an athlete being on the field and stuff like that. And we and we don't have a we're assuming that if the player is good in college, that um, they have found a way to deal with this inherent anxiety, but there's no guarantee. And obviously when you're when you're a super athlete um, playing against worse athletes, then the anxiety, the, the, those issues don't come to the forefront until you're playing at a level playing field, which you are in the NFL for the most part. So yeah, those are just some of the things that we don't know. The teams get a better idea of it as they actually talk to the players and, and give them personality tests and give them other stuff like that. Um, you know, more better than the, um, the the stupid one they give to at the combine, the Wonderlick. Um, you know what I mean? So just stuff like that that we just we're not privy to, but I think it's super important for and especially for the quarterback position that takes so much more. Um, you know, ideas and, and thinking and stuff like that to play it at the high level. Yeah, I've I've heard former Vikings general manager Rick Spielman talk about the tests that uh, they outsourced to a company that they gave to quarterbacks that they were thinking about drafting that really tested their reactionary quickness under heavy pressure and how that was a lot different from a lot of the other intelligent type of tests like Wonderlick and things like that. But Seth, I wanted to ask you about something that I've seen you write about and I heard you speak about, and it's Dak Prescott and his ability to create offense within the structure of Kellen Moore's system. And you've mentioned almost like Dallas doesn't do enough to simplify simplify things for Prescott, which isn't necessarily a slight on him. But I just wanted to kind of ask you, what was it about Dallas's 2021 offense that just lacked an identity? Yeah, I mean, there it's it's I don't know if it lacked an identity. I think it they tried to do a lot of stuff. And they tried to drop back and throw the football. And every time you drop back and throw the football without play action, um, especially, you know, we've talked about it a bit, the way um, defense is heading, where they're putting a lot more guys into coverage, being able to uh, to disguise more and stuff like that. I and mean, you're going to end up getting your quarterback to his second read, unfortunately, going back to what we were talking about. Now, I think Dak is a good enough player where, for the most part, he's able to deal with this. But is Dak... Tom Brady, like, no, he's not. I think he's probably in, I know it's a Giants podcast, and you guys are going to like me, but, like, he's probably in, like, tier 2.5, right? I don't know if he's tier 2, but he's close enough there um, that I'm willing to, to make the bet on somewhere between tier 2 and 3 of the quarterbacks. So he makes it work because he's so good. And the offense isn't bad. I don't, I don't want to say here that the offense is bad. It's just it puts a lot of strain on the quarterback position in the same way we were talking about um, with with Josh Allen, but without the, I, I would say probably without the ability to hit the explosive plays, so that's just not who Dak is compared to Josh Allen. So that that was my concern. Like when it, there's not like, if you're um, Drew Brees in his prime, if you're Tom Brady, if you're Peyton Manning in his prime, if you're you know Mahomes or whatever, you just don't have bad games. You're just like there all the time. So you don't really need. You could just drop back and throw the football, throw the football. You know, with Dak being, like I said, not in that tier one group, it's like you're going to have games where you're going to have to do it for him. Like you're going to have to create open receivers specifically down the field so you can create explosive plays. And it's like, you know, I, I watch it a lot and I'm like, I see Dak, you know, I use this example all the time where it's like Dak will hit Amari Cooper. I'm not there anymore, but he'll hit like Amari Cooper on like a five yard in route at, as his like fourth progression. 
And you're like, oh, that's great quarterback play. Guess what? They get six yards. Like, there's no point. Like, what is the fucking point of this, right? Like, let's create offense down the field. This is, that's how we can move the football. So that is kind of – those were kind of my issues with Kellen Moore. It's like the offense made sense, I think, schematically. Um, I had issues with what they did in the, in the playoff game there with that they lost to San Francisco. But the offense made sense um, schematically. It just puts so much pressure on Dak. And if he's not, you know, playing at that elite level – which obviously we know he has games where he doesn't, it's going to look pretty bad. Yeah. I want to get you – we want to be cognizant of your time, so I want to get you out of here. But I want one more question with you, Seth, because you really know a lot about quarterbacks, and I think this is really important for Giants fans. So one thing I, I always hear from Giants fans, and I want to hear your take on this, is this whole idea of we can't really evaluate Daniel Jones through the first three years because this wasn't there for him, right? His offensive line wasn't there for him. His receivers, his coordinator, everything just wasn't working for him. And a lot of the time, I think some people really honestly feel like just from reading some of our fans and listening to some of our fans that every single play was a breakdown from the offensive line. And yeah, sure, there are some clips out there. But when you actually watch the tape like me and Nick do, there are plenty of examples of the offensive line not even really being a factor in the play at all. It's just Jones locking onto that first read. It's not there. It's not there. He thought it was going to be there pre-snap. It's not. He just doesn't know what to do. And by the time he gets to the second read, yeah, then the offensive line may be breaking down. But it's, it's way too late at that point. And so one thing that scared me a bit about Jones is Actually, you mentioned how the accuracy hasn't been like 80, 90 percent in those short area. But actually, according to Pro Football Focus, I believe this was from last year, he actually ranked in the five to 10 yard range as one of the five worst, uh, least accurate quarterbacks, right? Either above or below Sam Darnold. And that's what PFF had. So the accuracy has actually gone way down. And that shows up on tape, too, since his rookie season. How much? I guess I want to first ask you how much of how much can you take away from a quarterback who has nothing working from from an offensive line coordinator and, and skilled player standpoint and injury standpoint, but also what are some ways that fans can look to to separate quarterback play from a supporting guest? I think that's the real one I want to take away for the fans. Like as they're watching the games, how can they separate the quarterback play from the cast? Yeah, I, I don't know if you could do it on the broadcast view because you don't yeah. see anything. Right, you, you know, the, the the ball is snapped, and then you get to zoom in on the quarterback. So it's like, yeah, you can look at, you can look into his eyes, but you can't actually see anything that's going on down the field, which is like the whole point of his position. So that's tough. Obviously, you know, I'm telling you, hey, go get a game pass, end uh, of a game pass subscription, and and uh, try not to kill yourself, and then. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> I'll play the, and, uh, the product this year. It's about time. Yeah. Um, I, I luckily I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm a, nice. I'm, I have data privileges, but um, so you know, do that and just be like, hey, like, hey, there's people open here. That's the main thing. Is like you, there's people open on plays within the time frame of, you know, when the guy is supposed to be open and not supposed to be open, and like, okay, is is Jason Garrett like the greatest offensive coordinator of all time? No, but he's been in the league for a long time. The play calling is like. Like the play designs, like they 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 they're not can like take draw them out of his ass. You know what I mean? Like they 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 exist in the history of football. They're not like they're not peewee plays. Um, so yeah, it's just like at the end of the day, like the quarterback is the one who's going to elevate everything if he can play. And I think we're we're at this point here where obviously they're going to give him one more chance here, but it doesn't look like he's done that um, throughout his career. Uh, you know. I look at Herbert. I mean, go back, going back to Herbert. Like, they brought in Joe Lombardi in his second year. Uh, like in Herbert's second year, they're bringing Joe Lombardi from the Saints. When Joe Lombardi was an OC, um, 
in Detroit in like 2012 or something, yeah. 2013, something like that. Like, it was terrible. He, he, terrible, right? Like, <laughs> there, he was absolutely terrible um, with, with, a, with clearly a, a pretty good quarterback in Matt Stafford. Who's right. Been, you know, he's still starting at age 32 or whatever. So who knows if Joe Lombardi is any good, but you put him with a quarterback who can elevate yeah. the whole thing in Herbert, and it looks it, it looks amazing, right? So, like, at the end of the day, it, it's quarterback. We're not talking about a guard. We're not talking about a running back. We're talking about a quarterback here who has the ball in his hands on every play, who, who is the passer, right? He is the one making all these decisions, and I think we can clearly see that, that it, it just hasn't been to the level, and especially – getting picked sixth overall it just hasn't been to that level regardless regardless of of talent surrounding him fair enough that seth thank you so much for taking the time today to join us seth why don't you tell the listeners one more time where they can find you uh on twitter and then what kind of shit and where they can find your podcast uh you can't find the podcast anymore because uh my good friend deontay lee left me high and dry for another job that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very disappointing. But uh, I'll be back with some more content, um, whether it's on podcast, uh, whether it's on uh, podcast or, or YouTube or something like that, uh, soon. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter, PFF underscore Seth. Um, come check me out. I got uh, a lot of tweets about um, Cincinnati's skyline chili, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> He did have a lot of Skyline Chili tweets. Apparently, he tried to <laughs> smuggle it through the border. I've never had Skyline Chili, but i got to be honest with you. On glance and from what I've seen online, it looks absolutely disgusting. I'm just going to be completely honest with you, Seth. So maybe I'm just dead wrong on that. Look, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, no, it's not better than it looks. So. Oh, it's, not about, it's not about the taste. You just, you just like it. I like the idea of it. I like okay. Okay, we, I, I got a little bit of time here. Let's talk about <laughs> This is thing. This thing that I'm really interested, kind of really interested in, without actually doing any research. But like, uh, most cities, most big cities, let's say, have this idea of the, a, a cultural food icon right. staple that yes. probably comes about because um, lower socioeconomics group are trying to put stuff together. There's not a lot of money in the Great Depression. Blah blah blah. So like here, where I'm from, we have the poutine, right? This cheese gravy yeah. and 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 fries. It's nothing. It's excellent, but it's like. It's excellent, right? You have literally like the, the, in New Orleans, you have the po' boy, which I'm pretty sure yep. is poor boy. Um, just like a way to, to, to get food together when you don't have any money. And I think Cincinnati is, um, the Skyline Chili is, is <laughs> pretty much just that. Um, it just hasn't been able to be elevated. Though the po' boy can be elevated, <laughs> the can be elevated, the New York hot dog can be elevated, the pizza can be elevated, the Skyline Chili sadly cannot be elevated. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome we'll end it on that thank you to everybody tuning in have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.